Go ahead and grab a seat and grab your Bibles. And quickly turn with me to the New Testament letter to the church in Colossae, also known as the letter to the Colossians. That's in the New Testament. If you don't know where that is or or you're not real sure, we're going to have it up on screen here in just a moment. Uh, But before we get into today's text, I want to make you aware of just a couple things that are so, so exciting and important for our body here. In two weeks, we will have our Friends and Family Day right here And you say, what is Friends and Family Day? Well, it is the day where you and I, we get to invite friends and family to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an easy Sunday for you to invite those people you've been praying for to come and visit the church that you love and that I love so dearly. And if you need a little bit of information or a way to maybe break the ice, out at the table here in the lobby, just go straight out to the front entrance doors. There's the table there are some postcards, and it has all the information you will need or want, when, where, how, what, all of that. And so it's going to be a great day. Grab that. You can either uh, just hand it to a friend, or you can drop it in the mail, or just use this as a cheat sheet for inviting people. Uh, But I want you to know, I'm already praying for the people I plan to invite. And here's the reality. If I do not invite anyone, then it will be a 100% guarantee that no one comes from my side, correct? Correct. But if I ask, at least there's a chance that someone will come and be able to meet some good folk. And same with you. So I I just want to encourage you, be courageous. Invite someone. Who knows that but for such a time as this, God has put you in someone's life that they may be able to come to know Christ and connect to a loving body of believers. So that's in two weeks from today. And let me just give you sort of my promise for as best as I can. Uh, Already thinking through what that lesson will be. We'll be done with Colossians by that Sunday, and I want you to know that that Sunday we will do our dead level best to make it accessible to anyone you invite. We will avoid uh, maybe some of those, oh no, passages, such as on giving. Don't worry, not going to talk about that. Or or, there's so many things we could talk about. We're going to make it something that you will be glad you brought your friends that Sunday. So that's in two weeks, Friends and Family Day. I hope you plan to be there. Now... Uh, we are getting very close to finishing our look through this little book to the church in Colossae, known as Colossians. Next Sunday will be our last Sunday in this passage, but it won't be our last lesson. In fact, this Wednesday and then the following Wednesday, we will be back here to finish out the letter to the Colossians. And this Wednesday, I'm going to invite you, uh, if you want to watch your preacher squirm... Come this Wednesday night, we're going to deal with one of the most touchy topics and problematic passages in the entire Bible. It's about, hint, hint, spoiler alert, slaves and masters. So we're going to have a lot of fun on Wednesday. (laughs) So come join us at 6.30. We'll be in here for that. Now, today we're going to get into uh, another touchy passage But before we get there, let me sort of remind you where we've been because we need context. Context matters. Paul, the apostle who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he's a man who had been opposed to the Christian faith, opposed to Jesus Christ, and then as he's going to a city called Damascus, Jesus meets him in a supernatural way and it changes Paul's life. He goes from being an enemy to a friend of Jesus, from someone who fights Christ to a follower of Christ overnight. And he writes this letter, and in it, you can divide it up. Basically, the first half is about who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and then the second half is in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus does, this is who we are and what we do. 
And so let me give you the big idea out of the gate here. So if you don't remember anything else, in fact, after you write this down, if you want to sleep, that's fine. You go to sleep. We'll poke you when it's the invitation song and that'll be fine. But I don't want you to miss the big idea. Are you ready? Here's the big idea. Go ahead and put this up on screen. We behave, we do things, we have our actions, we behave based on what we believe. We behave based on what we believe. Let me give you just a real quick example of this. doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower. In fact, you may be here kicking the tires of faith. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. You need to know that every person in this room at one time was not yet a Christ follower. And then we met Jesus. And, and he changed our lives. And so if that's where you are, we're glad you're here. By the way, my name is Josh. I'm the teaching minister here. And you need to know it is our goal. It is our mission. It is our passion to lead our city into a relationship with God and one another. That is the big reason why we're here. And one of the things we are finding is that we as people, regardless of if you're a Christian or not, we behave based on what we believe. And here's why I know this to be true. How many of you believe in gravity? Can I see some hands? If you believe in gravity. Now, here's how I know if you really believe in gravity. You don't walk off bridges unless there's a large body of water underneath you. You don't walk off buildings unless there's someone there to catch you. You don't do things, you don't take steps that are dangerous to your health. In fact, in Nashville, I would often preach right at the edge and my toes would dangle. And people, I found out later, were not really interested in what I was saying. They were just, no joke, there were some members in the church who had a bet to see how long it would take till I took one too many steps. But I believe in gravity, so I don't. We behave based on what we believe. Our children obey us based on what they believe we will do to them if they do not. Can I get an amen? Uh, Some of you are going, amen. Okay, so here we go. We behave based on what we believe. This is true regardless of if you believe and follow Christ or if you do not believe and do not follow Christ. But let me take it a step further. Now, for those of you who are Christ followers, and if you're not, you just listen in this morning. But I want you, if you are a Christ follower, I want you to hear this. We behave based on what we believe, the rest of the sentence, about God. We behave based on what we believe about God. This is the big idea. Paul is going to press into us. He's going to say, based on who Jesus is, Jesus, remember chapter 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is the one who created all things. He's the one who holds all things together. It is by him and for him that creation exists. Jesus, we think, is a big deal. And Jesus saved us from our sins. Jesus cleansed us. And now because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, if we believe these things about him, it will now, Paul says, change how we behave. We behave based on what we believe about God. And so he's going to start walking practically. Now last week, if you weren't here, I invite you to go back, watch the message. You can go to YouTube uh, and we've got it up there for you. You can watch through it. But here's what Paul basically said, first 17 verses of chapter 3. He says, take off the junk that's indicative of your old life and put on the new that is representative of Christ. Now, here's a passage that's going to be our controlling text for the rest of today. So I want us to look at this together. And I want you to pay attention to some key words. Notice what he says. And what's this word, church? Whatever you do. 
Well, does this mean when you go to work? Yeah, whatever. Does this mean when you're at home? Yeah, whatever. Does this mean when you are out walking the dog or on the treadmill or at Disney World or at McDonald's or wherever you are? Yes, whatever you do, whether, notice this, in word or deed, meaning anything you say or do, whatever, this is a big category, your life, whatever you do, do it all, every bit of it, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this, giving thanks to God the Father through him, meaning you and I, if we are now in Christ, our behavior is going to look different because of what we believe our behavior will look different does this make sense this is a yes let me know that you're with me give me a little head nod and if you're nodding off just kind of do this and we'll be good okay whatever you do now we all say that's great this is awesome i think i'd like to put that on a bumper sticker or maybe embroider a pillow or get one of those coffee cups that says whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all to the glory of god okay yes i can do that but now paul's gonna say all right let's talk about real life And before we get into this passage, I need to just sort of give a big disclaimer. How many of you have ever heard someone say, yeah, but, yeah, but. How many of you have ever heard someone say, yeah, but. Can I see some hands? If you've ever had someone say, yeah, but. This week we had a few, yeah, but moments. We have two children. One child hits the other child. We say, don't hit your brother. And what is the comment, church? Yeah, but, you know you're not supposed to hit your brother, right? Yeah, but, and what are they saying? I know what you say, but what you say doesn't matter because of my circumstance. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The next four verses we're going to look at here are going to make most, if not every one of us in here, say yeah, but to God. Can I ask you to not say yeah, but until the end of the message? Can you do that? Will you stay with me? Because here's the reality. There will be moments he's going to get very practical. Life is fun when it's not practical. When it just is something you think about in theory, but when it's in practice, it gets serious and gets real. And so Paul's going to talk about how this Christ-centered life, how behavior changed by God is going to look in the family. And if you are a husband, you're going to want to say, yeah, but. If you're a wife, you're going to want to say, yeah, but. If you are a kid or a child at home, you're going to want to say, yeah, but. And if you are a parent, you're going to want to say, yeah, but. But, here's the deal. If we do that, we are going to miss what God wants to do in our lives and the joy he is fighting for, for you. So will you stay with me, church? Can I, can I can just stay with me for a few minutes? Will you do that? All right, poke the person next to you and say, will you stay? Come on, come on, get someone, get them in the ribs, say, will you stay with me? Go ahead. At least you stay with the person next to you. Ready? Here we go. We're going to walk through the text, and then I'm going to, uh, we're going to come back and get practical on this passage. Okay, here we go. Ready? Verse 18. I think we need to pray. Let's bow. You think I'm joking. Dear God, help us as we look at your word today. Let us see what you want us to do and that it is ultimately for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, here we go. You ready? 
He's going to talk to wives, then to husbands, then to children, then to parents. Hold the yeah buts. Here we go. I want to walk through, explain some words as we go, then we'll kind of unpack it. So first thing, wives. Who's this first talking to, church? Wives. Wives, notice this phrase, submit to your husbands. Men, keep your elbows to yourself. No jostling your wives right now, okay? Because it's coming on you next, so hang in there. Wives, submit to your husband. Paul's going to say, now, if you believe certain things about God, it's going to affect how you behave, ladies. Don't worry, he's not picking on you. He's going to get to all of us. But he starts with this, submit to your husbands. Can I just ask you, is this PC in America today? No, absolutely not. Understand As Christ followers, we get our marching orders and our standard from Christ, not from culture. But it's going to feel awkward because we're so used to culture. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Notice this next line. As is fitting, notice this phrase, in the Lord. Now let me explain this to you real fast and we'll kind of get to the next one. This word to husbands. Ladies, he is talking to women who are married He is not talking to single, widowed, or divorced women in this passage. The idea is if you are single, widowed, or divorced, you could be and can be and will be the head of your household. In fact, we have numerous examples of it in the scriptures of women who are single, divorced, or or, or divorced who are the leaders or the heads of their households. For your edification, you're welcome to look these up later. Uh, I would encourage you to look up Lydia in Acts chapter 16 as an example, or Phoebe in Romans 16, or Chloe in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So all these are women who are the heads of their household most likely. Paul's words here are to wives who are married in a household. And he says, submit to your husband. Does this mean women are to submit to all husbands, church? I thought it would be a little bit more emphatic than that, ladies. Are you to submit to all husbands, ladies? No. To your husband. Now, this word submit is not a fun word for Americans. Who in here just loves the idea of submission? I, I, I love the idea if it's someone else, just not me. Let me tell you what the word submit does not mean. The word submit does not mean that you are to be inferior to the one you're submitting to. Let me give you a great example. Jesus Christ submitted to his Father in all things. Church, quick question. Is Jesus inferior to God the Father? No. Heavens no. So submission is not being inferior. Submission is... Here's a way to understand it. Submission is simply yielding to another person. In fact, the the way that this word submit is used, it's a verb. It's in the middle, uh, middle form of speech, which actually, if you read it in the original language, it's basically saying, ladies, this is your choice. It is a voluntary act. It is not something that your husband compels you to do, but something that you voluntarily do. So when you think of submission... It's like when you're driving and you come up to a yield sign. You have traffic coming this way and you come up to a sign. And although it does not say stop, all it says is yield. Watch what's coming. Give the right of way to the one coming. So to yield is to simply defer and allow someone else to lead. That's all it means is to yield to that person. 
But it does not mean that you are inferior. And second thing that it does not mean is that it's, it does not mean that it's absolute. That in every sense, every time, every place, every circumstance, you yield to your husband. Because notice it says, as is fitting in the Lord. Two things about that phrase. Number one, you are to submit if you are in the Lord. This is just a posture. By the way, if you think this is just for ladies, gentlemen, I would encourage you to go home and read Ephesians chapter 5 this afternoon because Paul is going to call husbands to a very similar level of mutual submission with the wives. It's a very important thing to look at. But the other thing is, it's not just that if you're in the Lord, you submit, but rather this is also a qualifier, meaning that there are some things that if your husband were to ask you to do, that you would not submit to certain things your husband would call you to do if... The things he calls you to do are not things that are honoring to the Lord. So if your husband asks you to do something that is immoral, unholy, or unbiblical, then you would lovingly and respectfully say, I cannot do that because although God has called me to come under your leadership, it is only because I am under his leadership that I come under yours. But let me tell you something. Ladies, when you do this, If you want your husbands to feel respected, this is what respect often plays itself out as. Where the man feels respected is when you give him permission to lead. Does this make sense so far? Hold your yeah buts, but does this make sense? Yes? Okay, here we go. Let's go on to the next, guys. Are you ready to talk to the husbands? Yeah, me too. Husbands, notice this. Love your wives. No, let's just stop there. Are husbands to love their wives in the way that he's going to define here? All wives or just their wives? Just their wives, right? This is a special level of love that he's going to call them to. And do not be harsh with them. Hold off on going to the next slide. Now, let me explain this real quick. In the Greek, there are four different words for love. In the English language, we only have one word for love. You've probably heard this. This makes it very problematic when we talk about love. So, um, you know, within the past two weeks, I have used the phrase, I love hot dogs. I love pizza. And I love my wife. Do you think those three things are on the same level in my life, church? Absolute, no, 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 no. I do not love food with the same affection and joy as I love my wife. We only have one word, love, to describe it. But in the Greek, there are four words. Uh, If you want to jot this down, you language nerds, here they are. The first one is phileo. It means brotherly love. So you have Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So it's a brotherly love. You have eros or sexual romantic love. You have storge, which is familial companion sort of love. But then you have the big love, the one we've heard about so many times in church, and it is agape love. Do you want to guess which word is used here? Agape. Now, just so you don't think that what the wives are being called to is more than what the husbands are being called to, let's define agape. Agape love is the God love, the self-sacrificing love, the selfless love of one person to another that says, I will give up all that I have. No contingency, no provisions. I will do this because I love you. The love that Jesus Christ has for us is an agape love. And it led him to the cross. So Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. But he says, now husbands, listen. You be ready to lay down everything you have. Listen, it is so easy to say, honey, 
I just want you to know that if anyone breaks into the house, I will take a bullet for you. And yeah, I'm the man. But it's a lot harder to say, I will live for you daily than die for you once. Husbands, we are to love our wives in all things. And he says now, and do not be harsh with them. Now that's a bad translation. The passage there is in a passive voice. It's not this. This is not a good translation. The better translation is in some of the other ones like NASV. And it actually says this. Go ahead and put this up on screen. And do not be embittered against them. The word there for harsh literally means a bitter taste in one's mouth. And what happens, men, when you want something from your wife, but she doesn't perform the way you want her to, when she doesn't live up to your spoken or unspoken expectations, what can happen is if you are in your marriage looking for something instead of to give something, you can become embittered and a bad taste grows in your mouth toward your spouse. By the way, the number one reason for marital conflict is not money, it's not sex, It's not in-laws. It's unmet expectations. I want something from you, but you don't do it, so now I'm upset. And he says, men, if you want to be like Jesus to your wife, you love her no matter what, and do not let when she doesn't do exactly what you want, how you want, when you want, do not allow that to become a bitter taste in your mouth. Okay? Husbands, wives. Now he goes on to the next two pair. Are we still together? If I hear crickets, I'm going to have to start all over here, okay? Are we together, church? Okay, here we go. Let's go to the next one here. Children, by the way, parents, pay attention to this one. This is a great one. Okay, ready? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, he says to children to do this. Now, before you think, boy, what what a cruel, difficult, mean thing that he's saying this to kids. Church, do you understand how incredible this passage is? In the ancient world, children were not considered equals until they hit a certain age. They were considered, in some ways, similar to slaves or to property. And yet, when Paul writes and says, let me talk to the young people. He's saying, you are just as valuable in the family of God as your mom and dad. And when he says, this is how you live, it's because he says, you have been called by God to a value and to a standard that is beyond what your culture says. So he says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Now, I got to say this real fast. Is it true that there are bad parents in the world? Absolutely. There are times where to be a good follower of Jesus means you will not obey your parents in everything. There are certain circumstances where if your parents are bad parents who are causing true harm, then again, remember, it's whatever pleases the Lord. So I need to say this because I know in a church this size, some of you are going, yeah, but you really don't know my mom and dad. You do not know what I dealt with. You do not know what happened to me as a child. And I need to say this, friend. If you had a situation where your mom or dad or another adult used their power in an inappropriate or sinful way, we are so sorry. And that is not what the scripture is teaching here. What he is saying is in a home where Jesus rules and reigns, children are to come under their parents. And here's the big thing. And by the way, if you are under the age of, oh, we got boomerang kids. Okay. Under the age of like 45, if you're still living with mom and dad, let's just put it that way, okay? You live in their attic, their basement, 
on their couch, doesn't matter. I want you to hear me real fast here. The reason God gives you mom and dad is because ultimately God's goal for you is that you would learn obedience to authority. That you would learn to trust him, that he would be your ultimate authority. And God puts in your life different levels of authority. First, it's your mom and dad. But if you don't learn authority from them, then he'll put that police officer in your life who pulls you over. How many of us are getting flashbacks right now to high school? And then if you don't listen to the police officer, then he puts another layer of authority. It's the judge. And if you don't come under that authority, then it will be the jail warden. Understand, God sets up different layers of authority, but it's ultimately so that before you meet him face to face, you will have learned authority and obedience under authority. Okay? And then he goes, last part here. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So, interestingly enough, it says fathers... In our culture, this is going to be parents, moms and dads. Now, in their culture, when children hit around the age of seven, the father became the primary disciplinarian. And the father in the household had the right to do whatever he wanted with his children. In fact, in the ancient world, fathers had the authority to have their children put to death if they disobeyed. How many of you think that's a great idea? Don't answer that question, okay? So fathers... Do not embitter your children. Do not, that's the word provoke. Do not poke them, poke them, poke them, poke them until there's this response. Because your job is not to discourage them, but to encourage them and to build them up into who they were always meant to be. That God has a design for your children. And your child may not be, the the picture God wants for your kid may not be what you want. Listen, if your goal for your child to be straight A's, all, uh, all state, and be able to be sort of the the high school quarterback and all this, listen, that is your vision. It may not be God's vision. And your job is to raise your child to know and love Jesus Christ more than anything else. I'm so grateful that my parents, when I was young, decided that they would push me in the direction of knowing Jesus, and they found my natural bends, and they encouraged the good, and they discouraged or pushed out the bad. Let me say one other thing. I think it's really important Moms, dads, your words have weight, don't they? And, and let me say something that may sound, uh, may sound controversial. I don't mean it this way, so just bear with me here. Mamas and daddies, your words have equal value. Amen? Amen? If mama says it, it's just as valuable as daddy, correct? In fact, this week, um, or this past week, uh, we were <laughs> driving in the car and... Uh, there was a little discussion between one of my children and my wife. I won't name the guilty party because they're both in service this morning. <clears throat> but my wife was having a little conversation with my child and, and said, you need to do this. And my child says to my wife, well, what did dad say? Let's just explain something, church. In our family, we are patriotic about discipline. We, we lay stripes, they see stars. That's the way it works, okay? Not quite. Here's the point. My wife turns around to this particular child and says, it doesn't matter if your father, not quite that deep, but it was something sort of like, it doesn't matter if your father said that or not. Because equal value. But, but let's be very clear about this. In most homes, mom can say and dad can say the exact same thing, but what dad says is going to feel heavier than what mom says. That's not good or bad, that's just the reality. Men, I need to say something to you. 
Watch your words because they're weightier than you think. One wayward word can affect your child. Be thoughtful about what you say to them. I think about the times where my father overstepped in what he said, and it was very rare, but when he did and he realized it, one of the things my father did that was so good is he would come back and immediately apologize and ask for forgiveness. And you got to talk about just messing up a little five-year-old kid to see your father apologize. It taught me something about my heavenly father. And when one fails, the other, you step up to it. Okay? So this is the outline of the passage. Let's just put this up real fast. Summary. Our time's almost up. Let me move quickly. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't embitter your kids. Is this what he said, church? Yes. Now, here's the thing. When we look at this, we go, fine, fine, fine. But I don't want to do this. This seems oppressive, regressive. This seems not helpful. This seems maybe even harmful. And notice this, though. I want you to see this in the positive way. Here's what you need to see. These are not commands to take life, but to give joy. Jesus' goal is that you would have joy and fullness. I want you to see how he values every person in the family with what he says. Put up this next slide here. When Jesus leads our families, let's look at this in the positive way. Are you ready? Here we go. Husbands are respected when Jesus leads the, leads the family. Amen? Amen? Amen. Atta boy. All right. Husbands are respected. Wives are loved when Jesus leads our families. Amen, church? When Jesus leads our families. All right. Hey, by the way, I think the median amen voice in here is like five or six. Can we do better, older folk? Come on. This is better. Come on. Husbands are respected. Wives are loved. Notice this next one. Parents are obeyed. Can I get an amen, parents? Amen. And when Jesus leads our family, teens get ready. Children are encouraged. Amen? Now, look at this for a minute. Okay, now, let's just get out of, let's get out of all the, well, that's then. That's, okay, listen, listen. Get out of the yeah but for a moment. Okay, here's what's going to happen. Right now, you're going to start thinking about all those reasons why this can't work in your home. Yeah, but you don't know my husband. You're right. We may not. Well, you don't know my wife. You're right. We may not. You don't know my kids. You don't know my parents. Yeah, but okay. for a moment, set aside your family. And I just want to ask you a question. Think with me back to the picture of the family that our culture gives. You know the picture I'm talking about, right? The father is a complete buffoon. The mom is, is always right, but she's always angry feeling and always frustrated. The kids always roll their eyes at their parents. There's no respect in the house. There's very little love. The obedience is not there. And parents, when they do discipline or deal with their kids, it's always in sort of a capricious, over-the-top way. Is this not the picture of family that we have accepted as normal? I just want you for a moment here. I don't know you personally. There's a chance I don't know your family situation. And I'm not even going to say in your family, but I just want to ask you a question. If you had the option to live in a family where the husbands are always respected no matter what, where the wives are loved beautifully and perfectly no matter what, where parents are obeyed and children are encouraged. Let me ask you, is this, not, is this not the kind of family that you would like to be a part of? Wives, who in here would not want to have a husband who loves you like Jesus loves the church? Who would do anything for you to help you? 
Husbands, who in here would not want a wife who respects you even when you don't pull yourself up the way you ought to? Kids, who doesn't want parents who encourage and parents who don't want children to obey? This is the picture of God's family when Jesus is in it. So here's my question. I mean, I know this about you. This is the picture every one of us would want if we could paint the picture of our home. Where everyone is loved and respected and cared for. So why is it that this is so hard? Why don't we do this? I'm going to give you two reasons. I'm going to ask a couple questions, then we're going to call it a morning. Here we go. Number one. The reason I think we don't do this is because many of us believe relationships are transactional. Many of us think of, tr- of relationships as transactional. So how, how does a transaction work? You go to the store. You find something you want. You say, ah, oh, it's this much. I've got that much. It's worth it. I will give you this amount of money if you will give me this item, this shirt, this phone, this, this good. It's a transaction. And many of us think of our relationships in transactional form. If you do this, then I'll do that. I'll love you, wife, if you'll respect me. But if you don't respect me, I won't love you. By the way, what happens if you don't show love? Well, then most likely she won't want to show respect. And then you don't want to show love, and she doesn't want to show respect. And on and on it goes. It's what psychologist Dr. Emerson Egrick calls the crazy cycle. Where you say, I won't if you won't. I will if you will. Many of us have a transactional view of relationships. But church, we do not follow the world's way of relationships. We follow the way of a savior who did not say, church, if you do this, then I will save you. He says, I will save you no matter what you have done. In fact, it's in spite of what you've done that he reaches out and saves us. This is good news. But many of us don't experience this because we're treating relationships as transactions. And here's the bigger reason, number two. Many of us believe that we can't trust our spouse, our kids, or our parents. Well, if I do this, they won't show me any love. If I do this, they won't respect me still, so why should I do it? If I do this... It doesn't matter. They'll still yell. They'll still fuss at me. If I do this and try to encourage, they still won't obey. They still... It's all about trust. But notice the repeating line throughout this is as fitting to the Lord or pleasing to the Lord. Jesus is saying, this is how we live. And one of the big questions that I've just got to ask is this. Two questions. Number one, are you trustworthy, church? In the role that you have been and given, are you trustworthy? And number two, do you trust those in those relationships? And here's the reality. I know some of you are in relationships that are not trustworthy relationships. You are married to someone who does not behave the way God has called them to. You have children or parents who do not behave in the way that God has called them to. But there's a deeper question here. Remember, we behave based on what we believe about God. Do you remember the... Who wrote this passage? It's a guy named Paul. And it's part of what we call our sacred text, our scripture. Meaning this is not just the whims of a person, but as 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, it is God breathed. That God breathed out these words. And the bigger question is not, if I, let me just be real frank with you. There are days that I do not show Lindsay the love that she is due. 
Absolutely. I fail her more frequently than I wish. And in the moments where I fail my wife, I'm just going to be real frank with you here. The moments when I fail my wife, it is because I am not behaving in the way that I believe about God. I am not behaving. You say, why do you keep saying about God? Because it is not my wife who's called me to love her. It is God who gave me these instructions to love her. And in the moments where I struggle to love my wife, as Jesus has called me to, the question is not, do I trust my wife? The question is, do I trust the God who's called me to trust my wife? Can I trust him that when he says, Josh, the good thing, the right thing, the joy-filled thing is to love her no matter what? Do I truly trust that he wants what's good for me and will never ask me to do something that will not lead me to ultimate joy? The reason that children do not obey is because they don't Trust that their mom and dad want what's best for them in that moment or in that thing. But even when your parents don't live up to their trustworthy status, do you trust the God who calls you to be obedient to them? Wives, even when your husbands do not manage the trust that you should give to them, well, do you trust the God who's called you to respect them? Do you trust him enough to say, I don't understand it, I don't even really like it, but I know that he is a good God who will never call me to do something that is going to harm me or hurt me. And I just want you to think about this. In every one of the relationships, we see Jesus living it out. So Jesus Christ, he is perfectly obedient to his Father because he trusts him. Jesus Christ is perfectly loving to his bride, the church, because he trusts God that this is the right way. Jesus is the perfectly obedient spouse who is showing respect and honor. Jesus is the perfectly obedient parent who takes, or perfectly encouraging parent who does what is right always with his children. So the next question, what do you believe about God? When you read a passage like the one we just read, do you believe that God really wants your best, family? Do you believe that what he's asking you to do really leads to joy? Because we will behave based on what we believe. And then let me give you one last question. Here it is. Do you believe God is trustworthy? Can you really trust him this morning? See, the issue is this. If I truly believe that God is good then even when my relationship with my wife is not what I wish it were, I will treat her as Jesus calls me to treat her if I trust that Jesus wants what's best for me. Because he will never ask me to do something that will ultimately harm me, but only that which will lead me to joy. And so this is what Paul says. And whatever you do, notice this, whether in word or deed, Do it all in this phrase. Let's say these words together, church. In the name of the Lord Jesus. One more time. In the name of the Lord Jesus. He's saying, you do this in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? Some of you are saying, okay, I want this. I want to trust God. What does that mean? Two things. We're going to close with this. When you do something in the name of another person, you are doing it as their representative. How many of you know what an ambassador is? Anyone know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who goes from one country, representative of that country to a foreign country, and speaks and acts and lives on behalf of the country they left. 
Jesus is your person that you are now representing. When you go into your marriage this week, church, he says, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Men, you are going to represent Jesus to your wife this week. Ladies, you are going to represent Jesus to your husband this week. Kids, you're going to represent Jesus to your mom and daddy this week. But just, by the way, just a little piece of you know, advice. If you do something really good, don't say, well, this is what Jesus would do, so I'm going to do it. That doesn't work real well, okay? But you're going to represent your moms and dads, represent Jesus to them. And parents, you're going to represent Jesus to your kids. It's representative, but here's the other cool thing. When an ambassador goes overseas and speaks, not only does the ambassador speak on behalf of the nation, the ambassador has the authority and the power of the nation. You need to know that today, if you are in Christ, Christ is in you. You have been given the Holy Spirit. And there will be moments that on your own effort you will not be able to do this can i get a big amen from someone there's going to be days and times where you can't do what god is calling you to but he says listen listen you do it in the name of jesus that you you are a representative of god most high in your home and when you can't do it god says i will empower you I will give you what you need. This is the Holy Spirit. If you want to have your mind blown this week, go home and read John chapter 14, 15, and 16. It is all about the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that he wants to work in you and empower you. Because when Christ shows up in a believer's life, he doesn't simply want to save you. He now wants to transform you, to send you, to represent him into a broken world. And one of the first places that happens is in the home. And let me just say this. Family, what would it look like if this church was full of families that was like what we described where husbands are respected wives are loved kids are encouraged and parents are obeyed what do you think this world would look and say what do you think would happen in our communities what do you think could happen if we as followers of christ said on my own i can't but through jesus christ through what he has done he has given me his job to represent him to the world and he's now empowered me to go this is who christ is what christ has done now this is who we are and what we are called to do amen